Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Just a quick production note here. The podcast was finalized before the news of C.J. McCollum's injury status was upgraded from uh, reevaluating a week to missing four weeks. Uh, I did... Uh, highlight during the podcast that I expected him to miss multiple weeks, but the news of further damage and being reevaluated at four weeks makes me want to reconsider a few things that I'll address either in uh, a post or a short podcast following this, but everything else just kind of holds true, but uh, altogether, that's pretty depressing news, but I did get to talk about a few things that uh, a little more exciting in that regard, but I just want to make sure I address that here before we get into things. Uh, with that in mind, let's get to it. I can miss diamonds on the What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Blitz's Edge podcast. I am your host, Danny Morang. And, well, I'm recording this after the Blazers-Spurs game on Martin Luther King Day, Monday afternoon. Lots to talk about. Um, we had the rapid reaction after the Nurk injury after he broke his wrist. Um, didn't really touch on uh, CJ, obviously, because the game in between. And now you've got Rodney Hood starting, which is probably where I'm going to start things out here because I don't think it's necessarily a surprise announcement, but Hood's production was surprising. Let's kind of roll it back on Rodney here. Prior to the Spurs game, he had 18 points on the season. He was pretty much non-existent uh, in the offense and the deep. I mean, let's, let's stop there. He was pretty much non-existent. He had a couple plays here or there, but he had just a shell of himself. And coming off the Achilles, you you expect that. You kind of tip your hat and go, hey, you know, whatever you can get out of him. The way he came out against the Spurs, he looked like the guy that we saw in the Denver series in 2019. Incredibly aggressive. I believe it was four of the first five plays were... Rodney Hood-oriented plays that were probably scripted. Um, we saw him do go side pick and roll with Ennis Cantor a couple times and attack and get downhill, stop, pull up, take a mid-range jumper, um, work on the block, get a little post-up action, knock down a, a above-the-break three with a hand in his face. Like, he was, he was doing some things. Uh, 16 first-half points, finishes with 21, and I think I'm less... The production's the production, right? Like... That looked good. Uh, I, I think I'm less excited about the production, more 
wondering how the hell did he go from looking like he did against Atlanta, where he looked like he did not belong on an NBA court, to all of a sudden being able to stop, start, explode, stay in front of guys remotely defensively, uh, and get by guys offensively where that just wasn't there before. I, I, I joked that it looked like he made a trip to, to Europe in between the games. For those that don't get the joke, that's blood doping. Yay. Steroids. You know, those kind of things. <laughs> it's he, he looked good. I don't know if that's going to be the guy that you're going to get every night. Uh, not just the production, but just how he looked. With Achilles injuries, Like, is he going to have good nights and bad nights as far as how he feels and how productive he's going to be? Stotts springing him there and starting him, I, I guess, makes sense in a, in a in a way because then he can, quote-unquote, control his minutes. Uh, he's still not probably going to play real heavy minutes um, and allows him to keep Mello and, and Trent on the bench together, I, I guess. I, I don't know. All I know is that Rodney looked good, and I hope to see more going forward. Uh couple questions that i got about this and i'll probably swing back to it and you know we'll kind of hit it now since we're here should rodney continue to start when cj comes back no <laughs> this team's problem is not scoring the ball like as i was perusing everything that synergy has like they're they're really good offensively they've been really good uh without cj mccollum they're not gonna be as good that's I mean, it shouldn't be hard. Uh, even more, I shouldn't say even more so, but doubly so without both CJ and Nurk. Um, if they had managed to steal a game against San Antonio like this, I, I would have been surprised. Uh, I didn't expect the way to go, the game to go the way it did, but this is kind of going to be the overlying theme. This team with CJ and Nurk out is going to live and die by the three, and it's the tertiary guys. It's the Covingtons. It's the Derek Jones Juniors. Uh, it's the Rodney Hoods. It's the Gary Trent Juniors. Um, we'll talk about Gary here in a little bit, subpar night. Um, but the extra guys, the non-Dame CJ Nurk trilogy, um, Trinity, whatever you want to call it, um, they've got to be the guys that hit shots when when these guys go down. Um, okay, cool. I got, I'm, for those watching on video, I'm getting buzzed in the face by a fly. Um but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's they're gonna live have to live and die by it because they just haven't been good enough inside. Rodney Hood adds a, a dimension to the offense that wouldn't be there otherwise. Probably with a, a little bit of additional shot creation, a little bit more size, he can take advantage of a, of a mismatch in the post. Um, if he discovers his legs and can knock down a three point shot, that's that'd be huge for him. But right now, I'm kind of in wait and see mode. Um, as it pertains to CJ, for those that, that, that may not know or haven't kept up with what um, the results were, the MRI revealed a sprain. They didn't say what grade. They didn't say where it was. Um, but the fact of that he got stepped on up high and his ankle went the wrong way, I mean, I guess there's not really a right way, is there? I mean, well, normally you roll your ankle in. Um, he rolled it out, and in doing so, that typically puts you in that high ankle sprain category, and they said he's going to be reevaluated in a week. So I'm basically operating under the assumption that he's going to be out probably two weeks. If he comes back earlier, great. I mean, they're going to need him. This homestand just went from, yeah, they should be able to stack some wins to, whole oh, crap, they better be able to get some wins here. Because without Nurk, without CJ going and playing Milwaukee and Philadelphia, they had troubles with 
the interior of the San Antonio Spurs, who they're a bigger, stronger team, kind of. Keldon Johnson, DeMar's big for his position. Pirtle the Turtle and LaMarcus. I mean, they, they've got some size and athleticism, but they're they're not Milwaukee, you know, where they've got a lineup of 6, 8 plus they can just throw at you endlessly. Or Philly with the interior, you know, with just Joel Embiid on his own is enough, but Simmons at 6, 9-ish um, coming downhill, that's... Those are problems opponents can have to solve down the road, but um, hopefully CJ's back in a couple weeks or yeah, in two weeks. Uh, I think that's the hope. Uh, they're kind of murky as far as the post game press conference. Uh, Stotts said he was maybe only going to be out for that game, but didn't also highlight the fact that he said that pregame that they'd reevaluate him in a week. So. Eh. It's just, let's be honest, it's the Trailblazers and, and medical stuff. They, they don't go uh, great together as far as releasing that information. Um, just kind of dovetailing back towards Yusuf Nurkic here. The thought was that they were going to go after somebody. Um, I've heard now that that may not be the case. A um, couple different reasons why. The guys that they maybe wanted weren't interested. The guys that um, they may have been interested in, um, aren't physically ready to go or other guys wanted more guarantees or more options or just things of that nature. As of, as it sits right now, they're not, they're not signing anybody. I would expect if this, if it drags out at all, um, I would expect them to probably go get a prorated guy down the road. Um, but because they're so close to, to the tax line, <sighs> It sucks, but they're gonna sit. They're gonna sit on it, um, at least for the time being. Now that, that could change on a dime, uh, if somebody else picks up a knock and the way these guys are hitting the ground, that that might actually be the case. But, um, yeah, it's it's all hands on deck, man. It's it's not pretty. It's it's kind of crazy. Just kind of take a step back. How this season went from hey they've got some good wins they've got some really bad losses but hey this homestand they could really rack some stuff up nurk breaks his wrist oh god here we go again cj rolls his ankle and not arguably in his best season so far um man that's a those are a couple massive punches and even though cj's not out for a long period of time it's just like here we go again they've already basically lost collins for the season um they don't anticipate him having him ready for the regular season until maybe the last week. So um, essentially you're, you're writing him off for the season. Nurk, even though it's eight weeks, the belief is it's probably going to be closer to 10 weeks by the time he's ready to go. Uh, so that, that puts Nurk out at roughly 40 games. 40. He's going to miss more games than he played since coming back from, from the, from the uh, compound fracture. Um, now like he played 20, 25 or 26, um, between the time he got hurt and then his startup games, the games in the bubble, and then these, uh, what, 11 games this season. And that's mentally, that's, that's tough, man. Like you, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that mentally. Like, I don't, I don't know how he's going to handle that stuff. And I don't pretend to know, like it just, I just hope he gets it all figured out. I'll be honest. Um, let's let's get on to some, I guess, quasi good news. Um, the Blazers are beginning to figure out how to use Derek Jones Jr. They've 
found a few lob attempts. They found um, him in the open court in transition, although the poor guy keeps getting tackled. I'm beginning to wonder if he's going to make it through the season um, as much as he's been hit. But even though the shooting hasn't been there, and hell, the interior finishing hadn't been there either. He was actually one of the worst finishers um, early on in the season. I expected that kind of stuff to, to round into shape, but his shooting to come down on the outside and on the outside shooting to come back up. Um, and we're starting to see that a little bit. Uh, they're still god-awful <laughs> at finding him on the lob, finding him on backdoor cuts with Nurk out. Uh, Cantor stepped in admirably, um, but Cantor is... Uh, when he catches on the short roll, it's you can see it like does not compute. Like that's <laughs> like he's making the pass, but it's more than a beat late. Uh, maybe over a little bit of time, it gets a little bit better, but it's just not who he is. So I just I don't really get mad at him because he's he's a guy who he works his butt off. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and box score champion somebody, but let's derail real quick. And Cantor is going to step in for Nurk just fine. We've seen it once before. He's going to finish around the rim. He's going to rebound, and apparently he's going to block shots. You know, career-high five. Uh, I was reading he's got 300-plus career block shots. When, when you think about it, that's really not that much considering he's been in the league for 10 years. Um, but he's going to screen and roll. He's He's got a body, guys. Uh, and he's he's been solid. Um, so he'll fill in and, and be your stopgap center and be fine. They definitely need to get somebody in behind him. Um, or I should say behind Giles as a break glass in case of emergency guy. In my opinion, I'd, I'd like to see him use a two-way on a guy like a Justin Patton or something like just keep a body fresh, uh, especially with everything going on with COVID and uh, some of the upcoming opponents that Portland has on the schedule um, that have had COVID issues, i.e. Philly, um, and how that may impact them. Covington... I like the addition, and I continue to like the addition, even with the subpar shooting. Uh, the one for 13 stuff definitely stands out against uh, the Hawks, but, you know, if you can steal a win, you steal a win. He's taking the right shots. He's not uh, really forcing it. What's been surprising has been how bad he's missed some of these, as well as missing shots inside. The the missed layups after taking a guy off the bounce, attacking a closeout, uh, catching on the short roll and, and making the right decisions. That's been weird. He rectified some of that uh, against San Antonio. But they really need him, especially now. I, I want to see him be more involved than just a catch-and-shoot guy. We've seen some secondary creation elements come to the fore. Uh, again, attacking closeouts and in the short roll, finding guys underneath particularly Cantor. Um, Cantor seems to develop a pretty good relationship with both Covington and Gary Trent Jr. Uh, on the little dump-offs. He's a big guy and just puts his hands up and makes himself readily available. And that makes it easier for guys who aren't natural playmakers to find somebody and make the right play. So that's nice to see. Um, heading into the game against San Antonio, I haven't seen the updated numbers. The Blazers were fifth in deflections. This is kind of to tie the bow on Derek Jones Jr. and, and Covington. That's those guys. They they have been really good in that department. They are generating steals. They are generating opportunities. And even though Portland, they're, they're pushing the pace. And you can see it with certain lineups. Now, other lineups, <laughs> everybody knows where I'm going with this. Other lineups play a little bit slower. But when those guys are on the floor, they play faster. They play looser. They play more efficiently. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that 
prior to injuries, they were playing with Dame CJ and, and to an extent Nurk. And they were able to capitalize on that. Uh, their efficiency in forcing turnovers has improved drastically, but it was such a low mark to begin with that the, that improvement probably doesn't go quite as noticed. They've also dropped a little bit in efficiency in converting those. They're still better than they were. Um, Derek Jones Jr. has been hit a few times. Covington has missed some transition uh, opportunities. Gary Trent Jr. has had some rough, rough transition opportunities, including rim-checking himself on a dunk and losing the ball a couple times. Not things that we're accustomed seeing, but they're playing faster. They're playing looser. They're getting into the shot clock, or they're getting uh, into their offense much sooner, particularly off live rebounds. Dame is not methodically taking the ball and walking it up and getting into that slow grind regularly. They are walking a delicate balance of getting into their offense, depending on their personnel, earlier and executing earlier. Uh, And I think you're seeing opponents try to disrupt things a bit earlier too, which has been an, an interesting counterplay. Um, guys trying to bald an eye on both Dame and CJ early in the clock to force the action either to reset or go to a second or third read, which, I mean, makes sense, get the ball out of Dame and CJ's hands. But they they are trying things. And this isn't my um, my ode to Terry Stotts. But for those that, because they don't change anything, they don't. they are doing a lot of things very differently. They are adding more counters, both offensively and defensively. They are trying to get into the clock or uh, into their offense sooner and faster, especially off of live rebounds. They are getting in passing lanes more. They are getting more deflections. They are getting out in transition more. They are trying to do things defensively. Um, They're actually, even though there's very limited data, at least as far as synergy has captured it, they have the number one defense in the NBA when they trap at the point of attack. Um, again, limited possession data, and I don't know how well I trust it. But there's at least something to be said there as far as how aggressively they, they trap and double those pick and rolls. Um, the stuff coming out of the corners, uh, unsurprisingly, Portland is getting murdered. It, it's exactly like you think it is uh, as you're watching the game. They are getting murdered uh, in the corners defensively. Above the break, they're actually very good. They're running opponents off those lines. And you would think at some point in time that the corner luck would kind of come back their way. But the flip side of that is Portland's one of the worst teams in the league at contesting those shots. So while the post-game press conference might say, you know, they just hit some shots, Portland can do some things, particularly with that second unit, to give a damn uh, about contesting his shots. And yes, I'm talking about Carmelo. And yes, I'm talking about Hood. Um, Hood has a little bit of an excuse in that he's coming off the Achilles and doesn't have necessarily the ability yet, or at least hasn't flashed the ability to recover back out. Uh, Melo just does, doesn't care. He doesn't. Um, if he, if he does and he's still this, then that's a bigger problem to be honest, because it just shows that he can't. And if he can't do it, then, well, that just kind of doubles down on the fact that his minutes probably go down a little bit. I guess that's what we'll make the transition to the, the mellow Trent um, stuff because uh, obviously I'm not a huge mellow guy. <laughs> I think that's it's an understatement. 
But what I think does get overblown here is how much I don't want him on the court. I am totally fine with Melo on the floor as long as he's not sharing it with Cantor or Hood, or particularly both on the defensive side, because he's not moving. The only thing he's doing is barking at guys to go where he wants them to go to cover up for him. He's not boxing guys out. He's not, when they go to these small ball lineups and Covington is the quote unquote, yeah, I'm giving you the air quotes, center. It'd be nice if Covington was the guy underneath, but it's not. They're trying to hide Mello there. And the thing is, and this is where my frustration with, with Coach Thoughts comes from, is I know that they want him out of there if there's a shot maker. I know. And I get that because he does have that ability. But how much are they willing to give up on the other end to justify that? Especially when, and then we'll use the, the Spurs game as an example, he goes 6 of 13, 14 points. It looks okay. The problem is, is those misses were egregious possessions that they just shot into the sun. Like, they, they were bad. Their record skips almost every single one of them. And what's funny is if you look at the data right now, in the catch-and-shoot, he's okay. He's, he's rated subpar, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's gotten some post-ups and some opportunities, uh, particularly early on in the season, where he, he fed on some lesser competition and kind of elevated his uh, efficiency in that regard. And then he had a couple games where he just shot horribly. So you get some pretty strong variants. But I will stand by. Mello shooting a catch-and-shoot three is a good shot. Mello attacking a closeout and taking a couple steps in and pulling up for a mid-range shot is a good shot. Mellow post-ups or mellow drives that end up with him at the rim are probably two of the worst possessions the Blazers could run right now with guys that are in the rotation. And I don't say that facetiously. They end horribly. His, he's got no legs. He can barely get by anybody. And when he gets to the rim, he throws his hands up and misses horribly. And it's he just doesn't have the legs. That's fine. He doesn't need to do those things. Portland doesn't need him to do those things. I'd rather him jab step an opponent to death than try to take him off the bounce. Just that's just where I am. And now how this pertains to Gary Trent Jr. And this was always my hesitation with Carmelo Anthony coming back was screwing with a pecking order. Gary Trent Jr. has had some up and down games. He performed horribly uh, against the Spurs shooting wise. He has not looked consistent outside of a couple games, and that's, I think, the biggest part of that is he doesn't know when and where his minutes or his shots or his touches are going to come from. And that screws with guys. I've talked to a lot of guys that have been in contract years um, and, like, where they are and, and what they're trying to accomplish. And you can see some of that stuff kind of bubbling up for Gary. And... I don't know, let me roll it back. I just hope that whatever it is, they can figure it out. Because the Gary Trent Jr. that looked to be comfortable in attack mode, but know when to make the right play, when to drive and kick, when to hand it off, when to make the extra pass, that guy, Bubble Gary, even when he was hitting shots, he was making the right play. And so far this season, outside of a couple spans of like 10 minutes he hasn't he's it's not firing it's something's misfiring something's not right 
And I think a lot of that has to do with the inconsistency of when he gets out there, when he touches the ball, and this kind of goes back to the mellow stuff. The mellow post-up, if he was actually using it as a way to initiate the offense. I know a lot of people are frustrated with Anthony Simons and him being the backup point guard right now with CJ out. I think Terry Stotts is using the mellow post-ups to initiate the offense. The problem is, is mellow looks at it like it's my time now instead of I can draw the double and then make the, the defense commit and then make a play off of that. With that being the case, the offense becomes people want to talk about stagnant. It's stagnant with Damon CJ. It's stagnant. No, no, no. Stagnant is watching a Carmelo Anthony post up. It is mellow posting up and four guys watching. And even when the double comes, you make one pass, and then, then what? Then what? There's no road. There's no movement out of it. There's, there's nothing out of it because nobody knows if Melo's actually going to give the ball up. There's 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 no belief that he's going to. And those possessions, more than the fact that it's egregious to watch. It sets a tone, and you can see it kind of permeate through the offense. Where it's like, I don't want to work for this shot, so we'll just go to the mellow post-up. And then you just see a bunch of guys with their hands on their knees because they know he's going to jack up a shot. Instead of the ball moving around a little bit more, getting more guys involved, which is what I really think they need to do in the second unit. I think it's one of those things where guys, we've got it's, it's got to be pass and move. Problem is, is Mello's neither a passer nor a mover. Uh, Norris, Rodney Hood, and really Gary Trent Jr. Um, and this is where I think the insertion of Harry Giles might be beneficial. But there's this, I want to call it symbiotic because that's not quite it. And it's not parasitic. <laughs> but it's somewhere in between uh, parasitic and symbiotic relationship between Mellow touches and Gary Trent Jr. touches because they're both play enders. And Portland could go out and get a backup point guard, and I don't think it fixes this problem. Because when the ball hits those guys' hands, it's it's my time. Mello, it's his legacy. Gary, it's his contract. And being able to find the the sweet spot between that is has not been good. You, rarely have we seen both of them firing at the same time. When they have, it, it, the second unit looks pretty darn good. But that's just been the reality. I'm to the point where, shockingly, I want to see Gary be the featured guy. I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody. 26 minutes should be the the bar every night for Gary Trent Jr. 18 should be the limit for Mello, barring him having good production. If he and Here's the thing. I'd rather see Mello in a closing lineup than long stretches in the second and third quarter. I'd much rather see him as a, as a closer, um, as an offensive guy. I, I don't know what Stotts is going to do here because he, he, he's got to get somebody out there, and he clearly doesn't trust Giles yet. He did go uh, to buy some minutes. He did go with Nasir Little and Harry Giles at the same time tonight. It wasn't great, but I was glad to see he did it. Um they got some energy. They kept things about even. Um, bought some guys some rest. I thought that was a little bit ingenious. They still haven't gone to the Dame, CJ, Gary, Covington, Jones Jr. lineup that I've been begging for. Please, Terry, 
please give me that for like five minutes. Just let me see it. I want to see Derek Jones Jr. in a pick and roll where he's rolling through the rim and just maybe somebody will throw him a lob. But if not, you've got what should be three-plus shooters on the outside and then Dame going downhill. I mean, that's that just sounds like it'd be fun. But, and before everybody starts getting irritated, Melo is not the biggest problem with this team. He just exacerbates their biggest problems. They're not a good defensive team. Dame and CJ are not good defenders. Rocco and 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 Derek, they're they're pretty solid. Like Derek, even more so. And Nurk, when he's healthy and engaged, is a, is a very good rim protector. They're good at taking away the things that they want to take away, in a sense. Off the bench, Cantor tries. Gary's a good defender. Um, Hood's not. Uh, and Melo's the worst. Having those guys all together and saying, hey, Gary, figure it out, or outscore everybody, it's just, it hasn't it hasn't worked in that regard. So, one of the key things, I think, for this homestand is getting Gary Trent Jr. going and getting him in a groove both when he's playing, where where he's getting his touches, when he's getting his touches, how many touches he's getting. I, I want to see the established pecking order be when everybody's healthy, Dame, CJ, to be honest, I wouldn't be wouldn't be against Gary getting more shots than anybody else not named Dame or CJ. But if you want to put Nurk in there, that's fine. Nurk would touch the ball more, especially as a playmaker when healthy. But Gary should be in your top four because he's your fourth best player on this team. Uh, he's one of the few two-way guys they can count on. He's probably their best two-way guy. Um not being able to get the most out of him and not getting the minutes, at least in my mind, that I think he should be getting is has been a little bit weird. Seeing, Looking at the box score every night and seeing Melo get one or two more, three or four more, five more, getting more shots, getting more touches, it just doesn't sit well with me because I just I feel like those that's the squandered opportunity. And it'll be interesting to see how they come out of this homestand if... Gary's usage still is lower than what I think it should be, and Mellow's is higher than what I think it should be, and what their record looks like. It's not a matter of being right or wrong. It's just interesting. Let's call it that. All right, with that, uh, it's going to be a shorter pod, so I'm going to get to some listener questions now. I'm trying to keep these solo ones a lot shorter, um, just because nobody the hell on earth wants to listen to me talk for hours straight. Uh, I don't even want to hear that, So, and my wife certainly doesn't. Uh, some of these questions were set in uh, before the Spurs game. I didn't record Sunday night because I knew I had the uh, Spurs game early and it would give me a chance to kind of see some of the changes uh, before we address some of this stuff. Uh, this one from uh, at Matthew Purcell. Will Little see the court today? Who starts at the two and beyond with CJ out? When will our D finally click? Loving the steals and fingertips on ball, but our three-point D seems to be let, the shoot, <laughs> let them shoot their average and deal with it on the offensive end. <coughs> Um, I'll take this one by one. Well, we saw Nasir Little. Nasir looked a little rushed. Happy to be out there in meaningful minutes, I'm sure. I'm happy to see him out there after recovering from COVID, recovering from the concussion, and all the stuff that came along with that. Nasir can do some things. He's going to make some mistakes, but he gives them some athleticism and some length, and that be a, that might be a way where they can buy some minutes for Carmelo where somebody can cover for him laterally. Like, that's... 
that's something that needs to happen. I think they'll continue to roll out Hood uh, with the starting lineup and allow them to control their minutes or control his minutes. Um, and Stotts keeps saying he wants to keep Gary Trent Jr. scoring off the bench. I just, whatever. As long as Gary gets up to 20 or at least 26, but should be 28, 30 minutes a night with CJ out, bring him off the bench, start him, whatever. I, I, I don't care. When will the D finally click? With Nurkic out, it won't. That's just the reality. They're they're just they're they're trying to patchwork this stuff right now. Um, Hood and, and Cantor in your starting lineup, and people are going to say, "Well, they made the Western Conference Finals with those guys in the starting lineup." By the grace of God, that's just the reality. By the grace of God, uh, loving the steals and fingertips on the ball. Yes, like I said earlier, they are fifth in deflections. That'll probably update. And honestly, I feel like they're pretty active tonight. Uh, they're probably about the same, if not better. Um, our three-point defense seems to be let them shoot their average and deal with it. That is an ex- to an extent on the corners. They're running them off the line above the break, and they're contesting those well. They are not contesting in the corner, and pretty much all of the data backs that up. So, I, I don't know. With a lot of these teams, uh, the Kings and the Spurs in general, the game plans I, I thought were sound. In the sense that with the Kings game uh, that Portland you know barely escaped with, was the Kings average over fifty two a game in the paint, like they're really good there. Fox is incredibly quick, gets downhill, and is tough to deal with. The game plan was snuff that out and live with their threes. And the problem was Buddy started off cold, and then he went nuclear. But Fox and Halliburton got red hot, and you. Your game plan can't be destroyed by the others. That's what you want. You want the guy who's a 29% three-point shooter. This is when I talk about when you're playing the odds, when you're playing the numbers. Fox is a subpar three-point shooter. If he's going to beat you when you're taking away his one, two, three options, and he's beating you with the lesser part of his game, you tip your cap to him and you move on to the next one. I'm not saying you can't make some subtle adjustments. But if all of a sudden you're worried about running a guy who's not a shooter off the line, it's kind of weird. Just the law of averages. And I would, and I'm not saying you're bailing out of it because I know some people are going to get really irritated about that. I'm just talking about in general. Do you want to run a guy at him? Yeah. Do you want to commit your entire defense to limiting him at the three-point line? No. And for everybody who's wondering, well, you, yeah, you got to run him off the line. Yes, but Fox is their guy. Your job is to contain and take away those things that he does best. And when he does those things, you don't want to put those you don't want to put those better options back on the table for him because you know he can do that. So there is some give and take there. Uh, but they do need to figure out what the hell they're doing with their corner defense. They're helping in way, way too much. And now with these smaller lineups, when you don't have a rim protector, when you've got Mellow underneath the rim, that's Hell, when you got Giles, Giles has still got to learn um, where to be, when to be, how to be. I like the energy, and I, I, I want him to get opportunities, and I'd rather see him next to Mello than Cantor. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to take a lot to figure that out. Uh, that kind of leads me to the next question. At Slater J. Smith, will Giles off the bench fit with, better with Mello off the bench? Yeah, athletically alone. Um, Cantor, he's going to try. I mean, I've said this a million times. He's going to try. Melo's not. I mean, he just he takes possessions off, and he doesn't, he doesn't care what it looks like. 
I mean, that's that's much as obvious. Uh, Cantor just has trouble moving to left feet. Uh, but as long as he cares, just by being as strong and as big as he is, he can he can bother a few shots. Uh, Giles doesn't necessarily have the the length. Uh, it doesn't say length. The length and strength to really be a real deterrent. He's he's a little light in the back end. Um, he's going to get pushed around by some bigger guys. He doesn't. He's much like Collins in that regard. He doesn't necessarily know how to use his strength all the time. Um, he's still figuring that out. So that worries me a little bit to an extent, but I like his athleticism. I like his hustle. He's had a couple plays diving to the floor where he saved a ball and throwing a pass that's immediately converted into a three a couple times now. Um, I like his his energy. I like his enthusiasm. I like him hard rolling. I like him being aggressive. He just he needs basketball time. The problem is Portland really doesn't have that to offer him. But yes, I would rather them make mistakes with Giles at center than know what you're going to get with Cantor and Mello, which is just pure unadulterated hell. Like there's just, there's just no covering that. There is there is no perfume or potpourri out there that will cover up that stench, flat out. Um, and that kind of leads to this next one at Colcordia. Uh, how much time do you think? Giles is going to get while Nurk is out. Is it time to develop his talent or do we play it safe? That kind of touches on that in regards to what I was just talking about, which is they need to find that line of development versus playing. Uh, This is what they did with Zach really in 2019. Um, They had the real short hook with him uh, when he got in foul trouble or was bad with his decision-making. I think they need to do the same with Giles, but maybe a little bit bit looser. (laughs) So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like going forward, but uh, I'm I'm optimistic that Giles will have some some pretty high uh, peaks, but also some pretty low valleys. So basically, a typical Blazer season is what I'm saying. But we'll see kind of how it goes, right? Um, these next few games are going to be huge for them. Ultimately, I think they're just trying to buy time. I think they're trying to buy time until the trade deadline and then use Rodney Hood's deals and expiring $10 million. Uh, package him up with Zach Collins and you essentially have $16 million. Um, not only is it $16 million, 10 of which is expiring, you have RFA rights on a young big. Um, they could add Ant. They could add, they could add Nasir. And realistically, they could add Derek or Covington. Um, this is going to be wild because Nurk's injury the third major injury, he probably picks up the tag of injury-prone, right? Which sucks. Uh, Both for Portland and for Nurk. More for Nurk. You just want him to be okay. Um, But as far as planning, team building, that kind of stuff, you have to worry about that stuff now. And you just want him to come back and be the guy he needs to be. But Portland's just trying to bail water. They're, They're just trying to figure it out here over the next three, four weeks, and then adjust again. Um, The first group of guys that are eligible to be traded, I believe, is February 18th, uh, is when Hood's deal becomes tradable, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, can they bail water for a month and then make a move and then adjust again as necessary for the trade deadline? So, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I'll I'll be dropping these more frequently in the shorter versions. 
Uh, I've got some guests lined up as the season progresses. I'm still working on getting a few more players involved. Uh, as always, like, rate, review, subscribe to all of those things for the podcast. If you've got questions, please hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, I love having discussions around all of this stuff. Uh, we're in for an interesting year, so uh, sit back, enjoy, stay safe, do all of those things, and I will catch you guys next week. Bye. I can't miss. Diamonds on the neck and on my wrist. Now they tryna get me out of mix. That's on me and bro, we don't mix. Told a friend, Shotty, why you such a snitch? Yeah, I might do.